American Hammers Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello and welcome into another edition of American Hammers Radio. I am your host, Tex, joined as always by the one, the only, the man who stands six feet five in his head, more like five nine in real life. Liam Bright. <laughs> it's 510, you asshat. How dare you how dare you strip that one inch from me? As as a as a as an Irishman, we all know that every inch counts. So <laughs> uh, believe me, it's true for Texans too. This is season two, episode eight. Coming off a little bit of a rough one, Liam. Uh West Ham took an early lead against Liverpool. We had to go out and play the Scousers. Um, of course, Mikel Antonio's not there. As sure as hell, the Scousers make a big-time mistake. Allison, who never makes mistakes, hits it right into the chest of Fornals. Fornals able to put us up 1-0, much to my degrin of all the people to score goals. Why does it have to be Fornals? <laughs> but nonetheless, Fornals gets us the goal. We get the lead. And then in typical European fashion, Mohamed Salah with an Academy Award-winning performance on his dive um, by the letter of the law, let's be honest, there was contact, but we all know it wasn't a penalty. Um, he made a meal of it. Obviously, he gets the pen. He puts it away. Fabianski, no match for him. It's 1-1. And then I've always said this, when you're playing a good team like Liverpool, they're good enough to get a goal on their own. You don't need to give them one. And sure as hell, Joda makes a gorgeous pass through the legs of one of our defenders who I don't even really want to remember who it is, to be honest, but... That ends up happening. West Ham fall down 2-1. Don't make much of a case for it later. And our unbeaten streak ends at four matches. But nonetheless, West Ham did not get beat 4-1 or 5-0. It wasn't ugly. They did play well. And without Mikel Antonio, I was worried. What were your thoughts on the match? I thought it was all around. I thought it was good, man. I mean, we knew that Liverpool, you know, at uh, at Anfield was always going to be a difficult match for us. And let's be honest. I mean, you really look at since the start of the season, right? We lose two nil to to Newcastle, but then Arsenal's a two one. You know, we we put uh, you know four past Wolves, three past Leicester. You know, one uh, one against Man City, three three against uh, Spurs, and then. 2-1. Like the only game we've lost by more than one goal is just that first one which we can all say is an anomaly at this point. And really I think this game is drastically different with Mikel Antonio. And I, I it's not that I want to shit all over Alaire even though that is typically my go-to cuz I just don't think he puts in the the same sort of shift that not even Mikel Antonio man like he puts in like 300%. You almost can't match what that dude does, but he's so accident prone, injury prone that, you know, it does sort of deter a little bit from, uh, you know, the reliability for him. But I think that everybody else on that pitch really did try hard. I thought they really did a fantastic job, especially in that first half of, of, uh, staying present, staying in the moment, you know, staying defensively minded and trying to attack on the counter. And, you know, as you alluded to with your best friend Fornells, I mean, definitely right place, right time. And I'll be honest, man, that's one of the things that has been a pet peeve of mine is we will lump in a cross, you know, it try it gets cleared out because, you know, there's two center backs on Antonio or Alaire or whoever's in the center of the pitch, but there's nobody at the top of the 18 to collect it. And Fornells finally just ghosts into the right position. And even after that, he still has to put the ball past the defender 
and Allison to get it in the back of the net. So even though it's maybe not the prettiest of goals, it was still a difficult goal to get. So all credit to Fernals for keeping his head in because we've seen him time and time again completely choke when he's that far away or even closer uh, uh, to the net. But, you know, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't spend a little bit of time talking about uh, Salah with that dive because uh, this is this is an ongoing issue in the Premier League with you know, top rated players getting uh, special treatment, right? And I know it happens across the league because a lot of the times those players are more likely to get kicked. They're more likely to get shoved because they are a constant threat. But for a team like Liverpool, as you said, they, they're good for, for a goal or two on their own without needing the penalty. But I feel like this Liverpool team, especially coming off of the, you know, the victory over last season, they... They have desperately needed those insurance goals that come from the penalty spot. I don't think this is a team that can always create on their own. Look at how how massively they struggled in that first half um, against a West Ham team that, let's be honest, has really been on a tear that has really been uh, uh, fluid defensively. So, you know, that second half goal, you, yeah, absolutely credit to them. But I was watching I was watching the stream, and I want to say it was through BN Sports, and the two announcers just kept replaying the Salah scream as he goes down. And you just, they're laughing at him. They're mocking him. They're just absolutely shitting all over the dude. And I was like, good on you. Like, let's finally stop protecting these asshats from, from basically cheating. Like we saw in the same weekend, we saw Sun and uh, Harry Kane trying to dive in, in their match against, I think it was Everton. So it's just, you get these players that they know they're more than likely to get the the call. And it's really got to be up to, to us to speak out about it for pundits to speak out about it and hope that change eventually occurs because otherwise this is never going to go away anytime soon. So there's a, there's a famous saying in football we hear all the time and it's, it's by the letter of the law. And I have to admit by the letter of the law, the way we judge it, there was contact in the box. The player went down. So yes, it is a pin by the letter of the law. And that saying is what protects Mohamed Salah's decision to make a meal of it protects the referee from calling it. And that's why there's no retroactive um, punishment coming down from any way, shape or form. But here is where the reality lies. Okay. We all know that's not a pin. We all know that in a Sunday football game out on the pitch, if our buddy did that, we tell him to get his fucking ass up and that's not a pin. We all know that. So, there's there's a little bit of an issue that I have with this situation because based on the rule book, it, you have to call it a pen and we have to admit that there's no getting around it. But what I would like to see happen is I would like to see the ability of a referee and this is where it slows down the game and I understand it. The ability of a referee to have a conversation with somebody else, maybe the fourth official on the field to go, was that a pin to you and have an actual discussion there instead of just calling a pin and letting VIR decide. Because the one thing I figured out as a sports fan, anytime you watch anything in slow motion, it always looks bad. It always yeah. looks bad. And so you watch that in slow motion. Of course, the way Salah reacts and everything, of course it does. But when you look at the actual contact, it's not a pin. And it's, yeah. it's very frustrating that that happens to West Ham United. Um, I remember the only time I can remember a West Ham player diving, and I'm sure it's happened before, so don't don't blow me up on this, but 
The last player I remember doing it was Dimitri Pyatt. And I remember West Ham fans giving him flack for doing it. And no, Lanzini did Lanzini did it and got banned. Like he got a couple match ban for for the dive. See, I don't remember the Lanzini, but I remember the Pyatt. And I remember Pyatt right. got a yellow card for simulation. And I remember yeah. it. And what what is in, so infuriating is those situations happen all the time. But anytime it's a top six club, why do they always get the pass? I remember one time hearing an interview and a referee said, well, I knew it was a penalty based on the way the crowd reacted. What? (laughs) (laughs) What? No, that is not accurate. And there's no crowds here. And I understand that, but it's just such an infuriating situation because that moment cost West Ham a point against the league champions. Well, and you when you watch it, even on slow mo, you see that that when Masawaku's going for the ball for uh, for the ball or to to try to defend, he kicks the underside of Salah's foot. So if anything, Salah's doing more damage to Masawaku, but with the cleats on the bottom of his boot, and it, it to me like that's where that's where there does need to be some subjectiveness to when the 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 referees are reviewing this. And let's be fair, you're right. I mean. You can't do that to someone like Mo Salah in in the box. And Masuaku, if anything, like Mo's turned away from goal. He has his back to goal. So he's either got to try to work his way around Masuaku or he's going to pass out outside of the box. There was no reason to play that tight to the player in that moment. So, yeah, it's a defensive lapse on Masuaku. I'm sure that he got stick from uh, from Moyes in the uh, in the locker room at, at halftime. But... You know, still, it's a, it's 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 a shitty penalty to give up against a team that we definitely had them in our back pocket going into halftime. And I think you go into halftime one up, and it's a very different mindset going into the second half. Whereas going in at a one-one draw, I mean, the players are going to come out a bit more cautious. But you know, just to give some some really good shouts to to a couple players, I thought that uh, Aaron Cresswell looked like a man possessed. I thought he was playing some cheeky no look passes. Uh, apparently, he's trying to work his way into like the Liverpool starting lineup. Like, <laughs> I don't know if the kid's trying to make his way back uh, back to the Western Coast or what's going on there. But you know, I thought he did a a, a great job. Um, I thought that Bowen had a fantastic work rate. Uh, you know, up up top, I think that uh, Sufal has been consistent. I don't think he's flashy or showy, um, maybe in the way that sometimes Fredericks could be. But I love his consistency. It's very rare that I look at Sufal and I'm like, hey, dude, that was a bad giveaway, or you didn't track your runner or anything like that. I think that he's been a, a great, solid addition. And I thought that Belbuena and Ogbana did great, other than not tracking on that uh, uh, on the uh, the second goal. Yeah, I mean, the, the team looks solid, and they did some really good things, but there's one glaring thing that we have to admit here. Mikel Antonio's not there. And when Mikel Antonio's not there, it's very clear that we have built this team to run through him. We understand, like, it's very clear. And David Moyes, and I told you this in the last one, what is his plan B? What is he going to do when the injury happens? We've We've said it on this podcast. It's not a matter of will he get hurt. It's a matter of when. Yeah. And so... It's happened. Mikel Antonio is out. Um, there's a reason that you hope that a guy like Sebastian Allaire, a $45 million pound striker, I'm going to keep saying that number because I want everybody to remember what we paid for him and what we're actually seeing. Um, well, he's got to perform here. So let's let's hop into this here. What are our thoughts on the team right now without Mikel Antonio? So my question to you, Liam, is this. 
Without Mikel Antonio, what is West Ham United to you? Are they a top table team, a mid table team, or a low table team? I'm just curious what you think there. You know, I think with without Antonio, just you know, on paper or even just passing the eye test, they were a mid table team, right? Because you look at uh, the, how Allaire has kind of struggled to really find his place in this formation. It's not that I think that he's a bad player. I just think that the tactics that Moyes is using, especially with this team, do not suit Sebastian Allaire's type of play. Um, and that's not to say that I honestly thought he did a bad job. Initially, when I first watched the match, yes, I thought that he he didn't put in enough of an effort. He didn't really look interested in trying to contribute. When I watched it a second time, I really only paid attention to Allaire because I had watched where the ball was going in the rest of the team the initial match. But I watched Allaire for the second view through, and he actually is trying. I think he still doesn't quite know how to play off of Bowen and Fornals. Whereas with Antonio, he kind of knows. Like if Bowen's drifting in, he knows to drift outside. If Fornals drifting in, Antonio knows to drift outside. I don't think Allaire knows to do that. And I also think Allaire suffers from what Lanzini does, where he drops too deep to try to get on the ball. And what he needs to do is just stay further up top to pin the center backs back to give more room for our midfield to operate. The benefit of having... Uh, you know, four, sometimes six people situated in that midfield is that you can overrun. And especially on that counterattack, you have more options to play through. And I don't think Allaire fully understands how to utilize that. What he used, what he did at Frankfurt was a top three that was very seamless, but spent a good majority of their time infiltrating that 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 uh, that final third, the 18 the yard box. And I think that until he fully understands how to do that, I don't think he's going to click on. We need somebody like Antonio that has hold-up play. And unfortunately, the plan B with Allaire, he doesn't really have great hold-up play. There were some times where he did use a flick-on pass that we've seen him use last season as well, uh, you know, to some success, but there's no consistency to it. The, ba- the, the plan C is Yarmolenko, which we also saw did not play much of a benefit when Allaire came off and Yarmo came on. I love Yarmolenko as a player. I love his passion. I think that he embodies the idea of what a West Ham player is, and I think he loves playing for this club. I think, if anything, he has more passion for this club than Allaire does. But the problem with Yarmolenko, especially recently, is he's very prone to bad giveaways, where he holds onto the ball for too long, either he's waiting to try to get that pass, or he's trying to utilize his type of hold-up play, which unfortunately has not always been successful. So I think that it's difficult to determine it based on the players that we have available. It's hard to determine whether we will be a mid table or um, kind of fighting for European slots. I would love to think that with a game coming up like Fulham and some of the other mid to low level teams that we have that, I would hate to see us not give Alaire or Yarmolenko the chance to try to find their rhythm, to try to get their game in play, in which case then we can have an alternate when Antonio goes down. But, I mean, you know me, dude. I love talking on my ass, but Tex, what do you think? Well, I mean, God. I mean, Liam, I wish I suffered from the disease you had. It's so positive. It, it's <laughs> up, you know. But I, here's the truth, man. We're a low, we're a bottom table team without Mikhail Antonio. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. And I'm going to tell you why it is. Sebastian Allaire is disinterested. 
I don't care if, I mean, look, I can fake trying. I've done it all the time with girls. I fake trying all the time. <laughs> so Sebastian Allaire is not somebody that is getting in the performance. And I think he's not happy. He doesn't want to be at the club. He's doing his best because he knows he's trapped there right now. But the reality of the situation is we don't want him there. We look at yeah. this situation as he is a $45 million striker that we bought under a different regime. And that different regime is no longer there. David Moyes clearly doesn't rate him. He's not really an option unless Mikel Antonio's hurt. And he proved it by putting Sebastian Allaire on in games with five minutes to go. So the, our manager doesn't rate him. But the reason, in addition to the reason of Sebastian Allaire, and this is the point I'm going to make about what, what happens to West Ham without Mikel Antonio. Mikel Antonio just doesn't make up a, an immense amount of gap for us on the pitch. He also is a guy that can, you know, if he was an iron man, then we would never see the problem that we have with Moyes, which is the substitutions. The substitutions are what's really holding this team back. We are not subbing correctly. Um, some games we're not even using our three subs. Um, I don't understand Moyes, what he's trying to do there. If it's not working, you've got to try something different. Sebastian Allaire should have been off at halftime against Liverpool. He should have been yeah. off at halftime against Liverpool. And it doesn't matter what anybody tells me, it was not working. Yes, we were up 1-0 at one point, but we were up on a mistake. Like, it wasn't like well, we earned that goal. You know, we had a poor cross into the box. They had a shitty clearance. And we had the guy in the right place at the right time. And he hits one out of 100. That's Pablo Fornals. That was the one out of 100. And so he gets in there. And I'm not trying to be negative and I'm not trying to shit on our team. I love West Ham United. But my issue comes down to the fact that we have nobody that is a like-for-like -like replacement for Mikel Antonio. So because of that, stop trying to play that type of football. It's not going to work. We have to do something different. Moyes has to prove he can run a different system in addition to the one he wants to run. Let's not forget, David Moyes, the reason you're here is because you replaced a manager that refused to att attempt a plan B. He refused. And now we have a situation. Sam Allardyce, again, another West Ham manager, refused to implement a plan B. So what we have to do is we have to figure out if David Moyes is the quote-unquote all-I-do-is-win um, let's see <laughs> if he can actually be that because we have to make some changes here. Sebastian O'Leary is not the answer. Like, I'm really happy. I never bought his kit. I'm really happy. <laughs> okay. And so, I mean, like I, the question has to be asked and th this is what I'm going to, we're going to transition into this. Okay. Look, what changes do you think we need to make in order for this team to be successful without Mikel Antonio, because honestly, Liam, I don't see how Sebastian Hilaire can be the striker, the point man who we run everything through and us be successful. I don't see it. We've tried everything with him and it does not work. Well, I think the, the answer, if it's me, right? Like if I'm on the touchline and I, and you're my Kevin Nolan, right? And we're sitting there, we're trying to come up with tactics here. The answer is clear. 
you already have two individuals that like to get into the box. We saw this in the Liverpool match so much to the point that they were almost getting in each other's way. And I'm talking about Fornals and Bowen. There were multiple times where Fornals could have played the quick pass to Bowen, and we all know Bowen can scream one past the the keeper. Like He loves to just curl that ball around, and Fornals flunked on it. And I think so much of it does play because he has to receive the pass from Masawaku. He has to make the run and then he has to try to play the pass. But what if you had somebody in the center of the park that could play the ball forward to Fornals and Bowen both crashing into the box? I get it. Bowen has played striker for Hull. And in fact, he was fairly successful in that role playing as a striker or as that right wing. Um, I think it was something like 17 goals for whole last season before we we uh we picked him up in January that's a massive massive turnaround for a player of 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 his his uh his age right he's a young kid being able to have that sort of uh goal production is is huge for now's you know still that unknown quotient right he's still that player that sometimes is fantastic sometimes he chokes in exactly the worst moment so it, it's hard to really get a beat on him but what if what if you play Manuel Lanzini in the center and instead of having him be your number nine that really has to crash in the box, let him play a number 10 role. Let him play the distributor role. So one, he doesn't have to drop drop as far back because he's got Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek behind him. So they're the double pivot that stops the ball from progressing any further. They can play the ball up to Lanzini, who we all know loves to play in the center of the park and absolutely has the, the technique to be able to work his way around some of these midfield players, some of these defensive lines, and play the through ball into Fornals, into Bowen, and let them be the ones to put the ball in the back of the net. And if, you know, for whatever reason, they lose the ball or whatever, Lanzini's right there to try to gain the ball back. Because even though he might not be the paciest of individuals, he still will fight for the ball. He's not that guy that just gives up a la uh, um, uh, Anderson, you know, Felipe Anderson. So I think that there there is a plan D, if you will, that really should be plan B. A layer should be plan D at this point, because we've just seen that he is not the player that we need to have on the pitch. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I would love to see Moyes find a way to change the tactics in order to make Allaire work. But can you really honestly change nine outfield players to accommodate one? No. It just doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That's not good footballing. Dude, even in relationships, you don't change everything about you to fit what make a girl. Oh, well, well, she's hot enough. Maybe you do. But, uh, I mean, look, uh, have you met my wife? Come on, bro. Touche. Touche. You win the argument. You win the argument. Rub, rub it in. If you don't know Liam's wife, total bomb. But here's the truth. I think West Ham United have to understand that when you don't have Mikhail Antonio, and obviously that's the way that Moyes wants to play. He's been, it's very adamant. It started working last year. It's been working this year, but you have to show us something. So go the opposite, play a false nine which I think you and I are very similar to. But what I do in the situation, Hilaire comes off. I do bring in Manuel Lanzini. Um, but I also find a way to get Ben Harama in there as well. And I probably take off Pablo Fornals. And, but you know, like I'm just telling you, <laughs> and, and I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm putting four midfield attacking style players up there and keeping that defense guessing about who's going to come into the box and giving them the ability to drift in and out and playing those games like you're talking about. If Bowen wants to come in, then somebody's going to go out and you play those games and you let them be creative and be the players that we are and keep that defense guessing because those four men on the field 
that is so much speed and creativity that we have. I mean, Ben Harama and Lanzini together, are you kidding? Like yeah, with what they can good. with what they can do, that that's what I think the plan B has to be to be, because I don't I don't think that you need a plan C or D if you can actually make that plan B happen. And I'll tell you, it's very simple, David Moyes. You just fucking do it. You put them out there and you let them go. Is it going to look bad at times? Fuck yeah, it's going to look bad at times because they're going to give the ball away. They're going to try a tricky pass, but that's why you sit the uh, the men that we have in the back, you know, and, and you run with that. And maybe you even contemplate the situation of taking off and maybe running a true back four if you're going to have to do that and not run the back three with the wing back so you can get – Four nows on there and Ben Harama, you know, and maybe you, maybe you leave Declan Rice, um, Declan Rice and you leave um, Thomas Suchek as that pivot to control and be those guys standing in the middle. But like the truth is, man, we have to try something different because we don't have a like for like replacement for Mikel Antonio. We know that he is the heartbeat of our team. So we have to try something different. And why not give a run out to a guy like Manuel Lanzini, who, in all honesty, is itching to play. And if he gets some time in a game, he can impact it. All it takes is one swing of his leg, and he can change a game. He's proven that so many times. Now, granted, it's never been consistent, but we know it's there. And that's why he gets you out of your seat. Okay? That's why we need to make that play. So, I I, I mean, I, I... I think we're similar on this. I just think you pack out the midfield and you let those guys run around and you let them alternate who gets into the box and you just play games with that defense and keep them guessing. And that's what I think the absolute best move is for West Ham United without Mikel Antonio. And I think Sebastian Haller, to be honest with you, Liam, we leave him off the bench to not even make him an option. Yeah. I, and I kind of feel like that that is the better play because when you really think about it, why do you have a bench? Because each person on there should be able to make an impact when they come into the game. And I think that that's where spending a sub on a player like Alaire that you know isn't going to make that impact is, is a waste. I mean, we already have a manager that doesn't like to make substitutions as it is. And then the substitutions that he makes, almost none of us agree with. It's been rare that he's ever made those substitutions and we went, holy shit, that actually changed the complexity of the game. That changed the tactics of the game. It's literally, he brings on a substitution and we all go, what? Like, we are, we're all dumbfounded. So I think we are at that point, man, where... We know Antonio is going to be out for a couple weeks. I mean, initially they were saying four to five weeks. It looks like his recovery is going a little bit better. But let's be honest, we don't really have any tough games in the next month. So I think this would be the perfect time to allow him to rest and try to allow other players to to find their footing. Because if you're going to get somebody like Emmanuel Anzini firing on all four cylinders... You need to do it now. You can't do it after the January transfer window. You need him going into Christmas flying high because that's the only way you get this team to maintain its momentum and you keep the opposition guessing. Because the longer we play this exact formation, this exact lineup, is the sooner another team is going to figure out how to break it apart. No team has really figured it out yet, but it's coming. And if we don't have a sufficient plan B, we're going to be fucked. I I got to disagree with you on this because I don't think we're good enough 
to ah, just let him, just to let <laughs> Mikel Antonio rest. I just don't, we, we haven't proven that we can win without him. You know, there was a time a couple years ago that every time Mark Noble missed a game, we lost, you oh, know? Yeah. And so now it's, it feels that way with Antonio without him in the lineup, a, a game like Fulham worries me. And it worries me because where are we going to find that goal production if they don't make a mistake? Well, like, you find it from Fornals, you find it from Bowen. I mean, we've seen them be able to put the ball in the back of the net. So, as I and I get it, I get what you're saying because Antonio was absolutely a goal threat, a hundred fucking percent of the game. But you have other guys that can still put the ball in the back of the net if you allow them the opportunity to do so. But if everything still needs to be played through Allaire, that's where the goal production fails. You got to figure we've got we've got Fulham. Uh, Fulham at home, Sheffield away, Aston Villa at home, and then Man United at home. All those are winnable games, even without Antonio. Are they easier with Antonio on the pitch? 100%. So I'm I'm not disagreeing with you there, but I do think that if we continue to rely on one player, it's just going to be like last... Uh, uh, the beginning part of last season when Yarmolen- or when uh, um, Fabianski went down and you could see how porous that back line was. You could see how the defense absolutely fell apart because you didn't have his leadership in the back. I, I'm telling you, Liam, like I, I have to, I have to disagree. And I have to tell you that I don't think that as soon as Mikel Antonio is ready, we got to roll him out there because David Moyes has not proven that he can run a plant B and we have guys out there. You're mentioning players. Yes. Bowen, Bowen can create his own shot, but, most of the goals that I remember him scoring are because Mikel Antonio's holdup play and sending a pass, giving him the ball in a beautiful situation. It's not just the goals that he scores. It's the way that the system works through a guy like Mikel. And when you put a guy like Sebastian Allaire in, no matter what you say, David Moyes, you are trying to find a like-for-like like replacement for Mikel Antonio, and it's not going to work. It's not. He, he's not the same kind of player. And you've done nothing. You've proven nothing to sit there and go, let's run the system that they ran at Frankfurt for you. And they still don't do that. So therefore, if you're not going to do it, there's no point to leave him. Let him go train with the under 23s and be done with him <laughs> until you can sell him. I'm sorry, but what's the point? You can put other people on the bench that have a, can have a greater impact on the game if you're not going to change. You said it earlier. In order for Sebastian Allaire to work, there's about seven or eight changes we have to make, tactically and personnel-wise, in order for him to have a chance to be successful. And we can't do that. That is just too much for one player. It, that means that's a that's a luxury situation now. So we have to move on from it. We don't have anybody. We we've proven that you can't. That David not you can't. David Moyes will not will not. He, does, he has no creativity. I swear the man looks like a fucking draw. Like you look at his <laughs> face and he looks like a draw. I mean, I bet the guy doesn't season his food like that. That's just, <laughs> that's my thing with him. And I, I cannot stand it. And one player that you brought up that we're going to go into right now is you said goal production. And the, and the first name you mentioned was Pablo Fornells. Okay. You sent me a stat and it's true. In the last five games, Pablo Fornells has two goals and two assists. That's cure on paper. God damn, that looks good, doesn't it, Liam? It looks so yeah. good. And yeah. so, but the fact of the matter is this. Pablo Fornals, the curious case of Pablo Fornals, he does not pass the eyeball test, Liam. When you watch him play, he makes more mistakes than good plays. And I don't understand 
why he continues to start. And I feel like kind of a dumbass right now because I'm the one saying he needs to be dropped from the team. And yet he has been our most deadliest player in the last five games. So I don't, I I mean, I'm just so confused. It is the, it is the oddest thing that I have ever seen on a soccer pitch, a guy that ends up in the right place at the right time. But I, I, I said it earlier, one, he hits one out of a hundred. This week, he, he this this year he's going two out of a hundred. So I, it's just it's a curious situation. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to I'm going to give you my thoughts on Fornells. I'm going to let you respond to him because I know that we're different on this. Yes. When I ask why Pablo Fornells is playing, I think it is from I'm going to give you two words, and I think David Moyes would smile when I said it. Work rate. Pablo Fornals might be the hardest working player on the pitch outside of Mikel Antonio. And that's just a fact. He never stops running. He does everything he's asked to do. He'll slide in. He sacrifices his body. Um, He is the true blue West Ham spirit when he plays. He loves playing for the team. Hell, he looks like he just walked off the set of Pirates of the Caribbean half the time. So the man is doing good things from a perspective of putting the effort in. It's there. But this is my argument. At some point, your talent level is going to catch up to you, okay? Luck is when hard work meets effort, and he is the luckiest player we have because he puts in the work on the pitch and he puts in the effort on, on the match in a match. That's what he does. So, therefore, he gets lucky a few times and he gets some goals, and it's easy to say. But the fact of the matter is he has killed more uh, sequences that we've had in the attacking third. He's missed more open shots than I care to remember. And he's thrown more passes into the feet of defenders that make me want to puke on my tits, Liam. And I cannot stand what I see out of him. I feel like he would be better served as a super sub to come in late in the game and be a pest rather than be a guy that we start and leave on the pitch the whole time. Tell me why I'm wrong or tell me I'm right. I'm ready to listen. Well, first, I'm going to tell you, I actually used your puke on my tits saying uh, earlier today, and my wife looked at me like I had three heads. And she was like, wait, what did you just say? And I said it again. And then my son goes, wait, what did you say, Dad? And I was like, yeah, I'm not repeating it again. So last thing I need is for my five-year-old to start telling people in class, hey, he's going to puke on his own tits. So yeah, let's not do that one. Um, but honestly, man, like, I'm not going to say that you're completely wrong because a lot of a lot of what you're saying makes sense, right? We know that Moyes rates him because of his work rate. He rates everybody on that pitch because of their work rate. The luxury players have been relegated to the bench because they're used to just getting by on the natural talent that they have. Sebastian Allaire, Felipe Anderson, even Manuel Lanzini, that these are players that, not to say that they don't put in a solid shift, but to be fair, in comparison to your Declan Rices, your Angel Ogbanas, your Thomas Suchek's, your Pablo Fernals. That passes the eye test, right? Because you already know that these other guys put in a much harder effort than your luxury players. And Moyes has always rated hard workers. That's why you see somebody like a Snodgrass making, if not the starting lineup, he's at least making the bench. Mark Noble, I mean, he took a knock. That's why he was not on the uh, the roster this last week. But that's why they're still going to keep those guys on the bench because he knows these guys will put in a shift. So with a Pablo Fernals, like, yeah, he still makes the mistakes. He's young. You know, he's, I think, only like a year older than Declan Rice. So 
yeah, Declan has a much higher ceiling. We know that Declan has the talent to match the effort and the work rate, and Fernals maybe just isn't quite there. But you've got to admit, he's much better so far this season than he was last season when he first came in. And even last season, I thought he was still decent. I was like, okay, it's a good pickup. He's somebody that'll get better the longer that he's here. Maybe throw him down to the to the, the under-23s, let him kind of gain a little bit more confidence. But he's gained that confidence in the first team. As we're talking about here, two goals, two assists in the last five games, that's huge. That's absolutely been critical. And think back to... What was it? Was it the the Leicester game where Cresswell hits the the sky shot off of the throw-in? Fernals one touches it down perfect, but then still has to outpace the defender and curl it around the keeper. I mean, yeah, the kid makes some boneheaded mistakes. We've seen him miss a header at four yards out, and that sucks. But we've also seen him have some really, really fucking good moments. And if I'm going to tell if I'm gonna have somebody out there that is going to take a hundred shots but misses 99 of them, but gets that one goal, isn't that better than to have somebody on the pitch that doesn't even take the shot? I mean, we've had complaints throughout the years where we have players that hold the ball too long, give the ball away, and are in a perfect position to shoot on goal, and instead they lay the ball off, and they pass, and they, the ball gets taken out. I would much rather have a player that at least tries, and Pablo Fernals, if nothing else, gets on that pitch and tries. That's why rarely he even gets subbed off. More recently, Bowen's the one that comes out in the 89th minute so Lanzini or somebody else can get a cameo. But Fornell stays on. There's a reason for it. Whether or not we see it, Moyes does. And that's why he's there. But do we really trust the talent evaluation of David Moyes? Like, I'm being honest. Like, this is, I'm not trying to be funny. Do we trust his talent evaluation? I think so, because look at Thomas Suchek and Jared Bowen, right? Like, these were two guys that came in on a January transfer that have already cut their way into the first team. I know Thomas Suchek was the one that recommended uh, Vladimir Sufal, but Moyes still had to pull the trigger on it. Moyes still had to evaluate him and rate him and say, yes, this is a guy I could put into the first team. And And what did he do? As soon as the kid signed on the dotted line, that weekend he gets put on the pitch. We could have easily thrown Ben Johnson on. Moyes knows Ben Johnson. He's had Ben Johnson start in previous games. Why not stay with Old Reliable? Because there was something he saw about Sufal that even now that Fredericks is back, Sufal hasn't lost his place in the starting lineup. So I, as much as I love shitting on Moyes, I know you know I love shitting on Moyes. I've got to give him credit where credit's due, man. Like we're we're at eight points, and nobody would have thought we would have even gotten maybe one point out of those first eight matches. Like, this is massive what he's been able to pull off against teams like Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester. That's crazy, man. Like, I, I get it, and I'm not saying you're not wrong. Like, I, I still look at Fornals and go, man, what the fuck are you thinking? 85% of the time that he's on the pitch. But there's that 15%, man, where I just go, fuck, that was a good pass, or fuck, that was a good player. Man, that kid lost the ball, but he hustled to go get the ball back. That's why I don't shit on, on Yarmolenko as much as I probably should, because he loses the ball, but he runs his fat ass down to try to get back to it. The dude puts in effort when he's on the pitch, and for me, that's the West Ham way, man. As long as they're fighting for the badge, I want them out there. I guess I'm going to close out the curious case of Pablo Fornals by saying this. I think it's it's a glass half full, glass half empty situation with him. I think from your perspective, it's a glass half full. You're seeing a lot of moments that he has. 
and you're seeing a lot of opportunities that he has in order to become a better player. And what I see is a deficiency in talent. I, I don't think that he's good enough. I think his work rate is definitely high enough, but I think we've seen the ceiling of Pablo Fornells, and I'm admitting that. And he's a young player, and I still think that. And when you have a player like Manuel Lanzini sitting on the bench with what we know Lanzini can do, and we've never seen Pablo Fornells do that, Pablo Fornells, his two goals that he scored were on mistakes. So granted, I understand that those are hustle plays, and they matter. They help you win games. Okay, clearly... Um, Liverpool knows that when you, you can score on mistakes, you can win games. So I don't think Pablo Fornells has the ability to create his own shot. I don't think that he sees the pitch well enough and I don't think he's a good enough passer. And I understand this, but this curious case of Pablo Fornells is going to continue to go on as long as David Moyes is at our club. And so this is something we're going to have to really start to come to terms with. So I I want to be wrong on Pablo Fornells. I want to admit that now. I want to be wrong, but I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to be wrong. This guy <laughs> is going to continue to make these mistakes. He's going to infuriate me. And every once in a while, he's going to always do just enough to stay on the pitch for David Moyes. And that's the scary thing. So let me ask you this then. So there has been rumors that Luka Jovic might be available from Real Madrid come the January transfer window. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to pay the full-on price tag to bring him in, but there could always be the op- uh, a loan option. Now, for those that don't know, uh, Luka Jovic was part of that front three that Frankfurt had so much success with. And who else was part of that front three? our very own Sebastian Allaire. So with someone like you that absolutely absolutely hates Pablo Fornells, I mean, I get it. He took your girlfriend. You know, he he was able to do things to her that you only ever dreamed about. So I, I get it. But he has that Pirates of the Caribbean flair. He has that, you know, uh, shipwrecked, you know, savoir faire that, you know, sometimes a Texan just doesn't quite have, But he's brother. not even a cool pirate. He's an Orlando Bloom <laughs> pirate, okay? He's an Orlando yeah. Bloom. He ain't no Johnny Depp. So it's almost as though he's a butt pirate, you would say. So I think that the the, the difference is, though, if, if you have the option to bring in Jovic and you know because you've already seen with the eye test, you've seen the production rate that he has with Sebastian Allaire, do you spend the money, potentially a lot of fucking money, to bring this player in to get more out of Allaire? I mean, this, this kind of answers both the questions that we've had, is you get... Pablo is just a placeholder to you find somebody better that you could put in that position. And Allaire needs that other player, that strike partner to play off of. Is Jovic that player? And are you willing to spend potentially $50 million to bring this player in? That's a $100 million front starting lineup. But are you spending more money to fix a 45 million pound problem that you already have? So we're into the rumor mill part of the show, and uh, we were definitely talking about this in pre-production, and I'm, I'm going to admit right now, I don't know a ton about Jovic. I know a little about him, and I know enough to say this. I don't understand. It is the strangest transfer situation um, that I've seen come out of West Ham rumors in a while. And I'm just going to say this on Jovic. Just because he wears a Real Madrid kit, Madrid, Madrid kit, <laughs> just because he wears that. Don't fall into the trap, everybody, that this is a great player. Let's not do that, okay? He had a great run at Frankfurt, but he is. there's a reason he doesn't play much at Real Madrid, okay? We see this happen all the time with guys. Guys 
are at a club. They've got a great thing going. They get they get their head turned by one of these gi- European giants like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Manchester United, Man City. One of those club wants to bring them PSG. And they, they, they show up there, and then they never actually make it onto the pitch. And it's, you know, it's like Coutinho at Barcelona. Didn't go well for him when he went there. Jovic from Frankfurt went over went over there to Real Madrid, probably only came in for cover. And even after, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo has departed, he's still not on the pitch. And so what I'm curious on, if I'm West Ham United, there's no way in hell am I buying this guy. And if I am buying it, to answer what you asked me earlier, there's no way in hell that I'm buying him to partner with Sebastian Allaire. I don't want to go that direction. It's been very clear. I don't want to go in that direction. We're all in on David Moyes. We have to be. We have to back the manager. I can still shit on you, but I have to back you. And so the point is, I don't understand if this is really a David Moyes situation. Because if you're going to go get Jovic and and you're going to go get that player, then obviously in the back of your mind, you know that Sebastian Haller worked with him. So if you're going to bring that guy in, of course you're going to try to make it work with Sebastian Haller and recapture that magic. Like you said, they were deadly. I think Sebastian Haller scored 12 goals when they were partnered together. So I just look at this situation, and I'm not quite sure why we're going after that type of player because I feel like we need to go find somebody I don't know, Josh King, that can be kind of like Mikel Antonio. Well, I think I think from a West Ham perspective, you know, like especially the legacy players, is we've seen this type of pairing be incredibly successful for the club in the past. I mean, look at Cody uh, McAvenny, Hartson and Kitson. I mean, we've had the dual strikers that have absolutely decimated opposition. And I think that there is a little bit of the nostalgia factor that plays into the attractiveness of it. Now, do I think that this is a, a viable solution for the problem that we're in right now? No, because I think you spend that much money to bring in another uh, striker and then you still have to change the entire rest of the team and the tactics in order to make those two operate on the level that they're supposed to, especially when you're paying that type of money. Now, I would love to do what you're saying, bring in a Josh King. You're going to get him at a much cheaper price, and he's more of a like-for-like for for, uh, uh, Mikel Antonio, which means you don't have to change the tactics. You can pretty much run the same play. And really, even at that point, Mikel Antonio at the 70th minute, you could pull him off anyways and bring on Josh King, still give him a good 20, sometimes 30 minutes, and you're saving Antonio from possibly re-injuring himself. So as much as I, initially when I heard this rumor, I was excited, I won't lie. And I was watching some of the highlight reels from the, from their time at Frankfurt, but you're right. I mean, is this going to be another player that struggled at a big club, was able to get a high price tag to go down to another club and maybe found some success, but never really owned up to the price tag that they had. The caveats to that, of course, look at James Rodriguez, right? So the 2014 World Cup happens. He's shown to be a superstar, gets bought up by Real Madrid and basically rides the pine pony, you know, really doesn't make an impact on the first team. And now look at him. Ever- Everton snaps him up and he's absolutely 
been instrumental in the success that they've seen so far this season. So, yeah, you have somebody like that. On the flip side, you have Gareth Bale, somebody that's well past their prime. Tottenham re-snaps him back up, and what real production has he given to that team? They're still heavily reliant on Harry Kane and Son. There's there's some players, you're right, that do come from these larger teams and just don't, they do not fit the price tag. But I don't know if Jovic is that person, but I'll be honest, it's probably not a bet that I'm willing to take because that's a lot of money to shell out to potentially not get the return on investment, as we've seen with Sebastian Allaire. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now. I I I I think it's a pipe dream. And I think honestly, to be straight up honest, I if this is real, this is just flat out stupid. There's no other way that I can say it. There's no Jovic makes no sense. It there's no reason for us to bring him in. We're done with Sebastian Allaire. So that means if you're bringing him in, the person you're going to partner with is going to be Mikel Antonio. It's not <laughs> Sebastian Allaire. So let's make that very clear right now. Sebastian Allaire's days are, it's not a matter of will we get rid of him, it's a matter of when. And so we, we're not going to get the return on investment. We're going to be lucky if we can sell him for $20 million, And we should take the £25 million pound loss and be done with it. You know, like it, it, sometimes you just wash your hands and you're done with it. Um, Josh King is a better shout. And let's not forget, David Moyes wanted Josh King. Ben Harama was pushed on him by the board. So in the January transfer window, if we go after anyone, that should be Josh King. And like you said, Josh King is a proven Premier League commodity. We know he can score goals. We're not saying he's the best, but we know he can score goals. And Josh King is the guy that we need that can be that plan B striker, that can be a like-for-like replacement for Mikel Antonio. He's not the exact same way, but he can play hold-up play. He can create his own shot. And trust me, as a West Ham fan, and we all know it, he can score because he scored on us plenty. So... At the end of the day here, I mean, in all honesty, Liam, it, it is almost comical to even bring up Jovic's name. I feel like that's not real. Um, if it is real, I'm very disappointed that that's something you're even looking at. Unless they're just going to try to do a loan thing just for cover, but I still feel that you can get Josh King for the same price you're going to pay for a loan from Real Madrid. You ever go to the store and you see a box of, Nike tennis shoes and off-brand tennis shoes, and the off-brand tennis shoes feel more comfortable than Nike tennis shoes because you're paying for the brand. That's oh, that's yeah. the problem when you go get somebody from Real Madrid. <laughs> you're paying for the brand. You're not really paying for the quality because, trust me, if Real Madrid is getting rid of them, they're not good. So, yeah. I mean, that that's just a fact of the matter because no player wants to leave Real Madrid. So, obviously, this weekend – you know, we're not going to have a Josh King on the pitch and we're going to have to deal with somebody like a Sebastian Haller because Mikel Antonio's um, still out. Good news is we're playing Fulham, although they are led by former West Ham great Scotty Parker. Um, so it'll be nice to see Scotty on the touchline. But West Ham take on Fulham this weekend. This Fulham team, um, nobody said they would be any good. They've actually probably overperformed for what they are. They're still not very good, but they have overperformed. Um, we play them this weekend. Um, Liam, remind me, we get them at our house or do we have to go to Craven Cottage? <laughs> so we'll take these guys at home. Uh, so we'll be home for this one and then we're away for Sheffield. So we get Fulham at home. Be nice to be home. Um, the situation's going to be interesting because as we talked about earlier, 
the big the big moment of the game is going to be an hour before when we all get that phone update that tells us what the lineups are. And we're going to see if David Moyes is going to be stubborn and stick Sebastian Allaire up at the top again, or if we're actually going to see him shake things up. After that Liverpool performance, even with a 2-1 loss, he's going to have to shake things up because we did not look like we had much of a goal threat at all. So I'd like to see him do something different. Um, and this is where we're going to lean into you, Liam. Um, what is your projected starting 11 for this match against Fulham at the London Stadium? So my per- my projected starting 11 is going to be exactly what Moyes trotted out uh, this past week against Liverpool. I think he leaves pretty much everybody unchanged other than leaving Allaire up front. Um, as you and I t- discussed earlier, I'd much rather see him play, uh, you know, more of a 5-3-2, uh, pushing Fernals and Bowen up top and then putting Lanzini in the middle uh, with obviously Rice and Suchek right behind him. Um, I don't anticipate Moyes doing that because I do think he's going to look at Fulham as uh, less less dangerous uh, to his starting 11. And I think that he expects Allaire to be able to dominate that back line and be able to knock in a couple of goals. What about you? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to go, I'm going to be the wild card here. And I'm going to tell you that I, I'm going to do something that I rarely do on the show. And I'm going to assume that David Moyes is actually going to be smart. And I think he's going to totally change the formation because if you're going to do it, this is the game to do it in against Fulham. You can give it a 45 minute run and then you can go back to your old ways in the second half if it's not working. But I think this is that moment against a team that you're going to be better that on paper. Yes, it's the prim. Anybody can win any given day. And I understand that but in all in all honesty we should win this game and we should win it convincingly um so what i would like to see is i wanted to move to a back four um i would love to see Sufal and cresswell um be the uh the fullbacks on the side and then in the middle i would love to see the partnership of balbuena and ogbana continue i don't think balbuena has done anything to be pulled off um, I think you sit Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek in front of them so that they can really help you boss the midfield. And then I think you throw five guys in an attacking mess going forward that nobody can pick up. And those five guys include Jared Bowen, Ben Harama, Manuel Lanzini. Believe it or not, I'm going to say Pablo Fornals. And then uh, the fifth one, who am, I, who am I leaving out here up at the front? I'm leaving uh, out. I think so. you're... I th- I think you're one too heavy because oh. you'd have back four. You'd have oh. uh, well, Sufal, Balbuena, Ogbonna, and Cress. I'm sorry. I want those four that I listed to go. That's why I thought there was one more. But No, you're good. You're good. Yeah, I, I I want those four going forward, and, I, and I'm and i leaving four nows on the pitch. And you run with those four going forward. Let them be creative. Let them try to make plays um, and see what happens. That's what I would love to see for my starting 11. So you would sit Masuaku but put Ben Harama on there? Uh, I think so. I think, I think we know what Masuaku can do. Um, we know he's very, very good. And this is why I say you give it a 45 minute run and see how it goes. And then in the second half, if it's not working, you change your bag. You can bring Masuaku back in, but I want to see Ben Rama. I want to see what he can do. And this is a perfect game to trot him out and let him run around and see what he can do. I'd love to see him on the pitch with Manuel Lanzini. Let's see what that partnership could look like. Because if it looks good and we go out there and beat Fulham 5-0, well, shit, you may have found your plan B. And if it yeah. doesn't look good and you're going at half uh, um, tied or down one, you can change it, get back into the game, and probably go win it. So, I mean, this is Fulham we're talking about. I don't think that they're a very dangerous team. So, knowing all that, obviously I'm going to be the wild card there. Who's your goal scorers? Who's your man of the match? 
Um, so I think for this one, we, we probably decimate Fulham. I think this is going to be a 3 nil, 4 nil. Uh, I would say almost everybody up at the top is going to get uh, a, um, get a ball in the back of the net. I'd say Allaire gets one probably off of a set piece, like a corner kick or a free kick in the uh, attacking third. I think Bowen puts one in. I think Fornals assists on at least one, if not two goals. And I'd actually love to see uh, Masuaku find the back of the net this time. And... Uh, if we get a fourth one, it'll come from one of the center backs, either Balbuena or Agbana. Uh, for me, I'm still going to say you got to go with either Agbana or Rice as probably man of the match. I think that there's still the stalwarts back there. I'm leaning more towards Rice because uh, the second time I watched that Liverpool match, I really thought he was fantastic bossing that midfield. Uh, so I'll go with Rice as man of the match. How about for you, Tex? Who's got it on yours? Well, remember, I'm going with that crazy starting 11 that we all know David Moyes isn't going to do. So obviously, I'm, I know I'm going to be wrong, and I'm okay with it. But uh, my goal scorer is, I think the match finishes 3-0 West Ham United. I have Jared Bowen getting the first two goals of the game. I think he is going to be too much to handle for them. And then the third goal I have going in for Manuel Lanzini. Why? Cause I fucking love him. That's why. And I want him <laughs> to score another goal because I want him to put pressure on Moyes to be a starter. So I have a three Oh match. I think it's a convincing win. I think that we'll see some, some mistakes from West Ham United, but I think that they will make the plays. Obviously man of the match, you get a brace. I'm going Jared Bowen. I think he ends up uh, being man of the match. I just think Jared Bowen against a lower side like that is just going to dominate. You know, he's uh, he's a very dangerous player. He's won me over. I talk shit. I owe him to pick him right now, so I should do it. All right, it's now time for everybody's favorite part of the show. Um, this is our yellow and red card section. So, Liam, hit me with your yellow card. Yellow card goes to the Premier League diving team. So these are all these elite little tactical players that the only way that they can actually find the back of the net is to do it from the penalty spot. So fuck y'all, grow up, play like real men, stop being little babies and falling over at the drop of a hat. How about for you, man? Uh, my yellow card uh, goes to the Fresno Iron, specifically myself. I felt <laughs> uh, I felt that my singing game was off a little bit against that game. Um, we definitely, we always outsing everybody, but LFC Fresno, the, uh, the um, Liverpool supporter group here in our lovely hometown of Fresno, California. Um, they, uh, I don't feel like I gave it to them enough and I feel, I feel bad. So I give myself a yellow card. Um, I give it also to the Fresno irons because they could have helped me get louder, but uh, they just love to laugh at me because they know I'm an idiot. So that's See, who my yellow card goes to. You would have been loud enough had I been there. If only I had <laughs> been there, your singing strengths would have been there because you would have been able to match my pitch because you get a little pitchy dog. So I feel like you need my my smooth savant voice to be able to really keep you on the, on the straight and narrow. <sighs> Bring it back, honor bright. Bring it back. <laughs> All right. So uh, hit me with your red card. Ooh, the red card's going to go to the professional referee organization. So, Pro, the only way you're going to get the Premier League diving team to knock it the fuck off is to start carding them. You had no problem uh, carding and putting a ban on Manuel Lanzini. There should be no issues doing the same for someone like a Harry Kane who loves to go low as somebody goes up for a header, and he's going to potentially cause serious injury. If anything, I hope somebody lands on him hard enough that he injures himself and stops doing it. But you shouldn't let it get to that point. You have cards for a reason get these games back in check by keeping these players in check it's your fucking job Tex red card uh, for you 
Simple. David Moyes, substitutions. <laughs> Fuck off. Get it right. Stop fucking doing what you're doing. David Moyes, you will forever get my red card until you actually make a sub by the 60 or 65th minute. When you make a sub there and you're and you do a good job, then I'm going to back the fuck off you. But right now, David Moyes, you will continually get my red cards until you learn how to substitute. My fucking God. All the right. caveat, the caveat to that should be that the substitution can't be due to an injury. It has to be that he tactically chose to make a substitution. That's where you're wrong. I'll take that. <laughs> I will at this point, I'll take it. Ah, uh, all right. Well, that brings us uh, to the conclusion of our show here. Obviously, um, if you've been listening to our show, you have heard us uh, give a PSA about the National Suicide Hotline. Um, you'll notice if you follow us on social media, we use a hashtag called Godfather Forever. Um, the Fresno Irons have lost one of our near and dear uh, to this uh, tragic situation of suicide, um, and that is um, Steve Echeverry. And we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, and we'll go into it deeper at another time. But we want you to know that uh, we use that hashtag, Godfather Forever, to remember our fallen brother. Um, who couldn't uh, win the battle with his own demons. And so we want you to know that uh, you post anything to the Fresno Irons, uh, please hashtag it with Godfather Forever. Again, that hashtag is Godfather Forever. And as always, if you are in a situation where you feel like you've got nowhere to turn, nobody to talk to, and you're considering making a, a decision like that, please know that here in the United States, we have the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, that number is one 800 273-8255. And if you're listening to the show, we are here for you to so just reach out. You're always family because you are West Ham United. Even if you're not, we're here for you. So uh, thank you again to uh, everybody that uh, tuned in to listen to us, uh, downloaded on whatever uh, platform you chose to download it on. Thank you to the American Hammers Network, specifically Tim and Lee, for providing us this platform in order to reach out to you guys. But most importantly, guys, thank you to the one and only Liam Bright. For, <coughs> wow. Right in the middle of that moment, Kyle. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Liam, for always joining us with me. I know I'm a, a lot to handle, but we do appreciate it. Um, so, Liam, you got any final thoughts here? Oh, man, I just I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't go through this hour long once a week round of bullshit with anybody but you because you're my favorite person to argue with, Tex. It's, it, I wouldn't be the Liam I am today without your divine influence. So thank you. OK, well, get that puke off your tits over there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And as always, come, come on, on, you irons. irons.